0: Imagine That Studios and Koru Studios, in association with Harper Voyager Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 2, the official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences.
1: man of the world, aren't you, Wellington?
0: A part of my time in the infantry, not really. Uh, never mind, then. You have a case in front of you that requires someone better travelled than yourself?
1: At least with the Americas, yes. This is taking place in the Carolinas. I've never been there before. New York,
0: California, Texas. But not the Carolinas. Then I would take my time with this case, Miss Braun. Why is that? Because, quite frankly, unless you aren't intending to vacation in former colonies, I doubt if ministry business will ever whisk us away to that part of the world.
1: (sighs) No shame. The Carolinas sound lovely. And you never know what fate may deal to us,
0: yes? Highly unlikely. I would securely wager ten pounds that no matter what shenanigans we engage here in the archives, we will ever find ourselves in such an exotic setting as the eastern seaboard of the United States. Trust me.
2: Lost Waters Written by Craig Stepp Narrated by Chuck Tomasi Part 1 The Mission 1879 What a lovely day, thought the post carrier as he strode through the streets delivering the daily mail. He was almost to the point of dancing, all the while enjoying the rather agreeable weather. He opened each of the post boxes and placed the parcels carefully inside. Each time, he gave a slight nod of Good Day as if they were personal representatives of the occupants. As he approached 131 Plevna Crescent, the post carrier took a moment to stop and slyly survey the lay of the land around him. He then reached into his satchel, flipped through several letters and articles, then gathered and removed the mail that was intended for this address. Before sliding the mail into the slot, he fished around inside the coat he was wearing and pulled out a sealed envelope. It was blank and absent of any indication for whom it was for. He slid the glasses that were hanging on a string around his neck onto his large sloped nose, inspected the envelope as well as the address on the apartment, and then deposited along with all the other post into the slot in the door. He removed the glasses, allowing them to dangle on his chest once again, and went about his business as if he had not a care in the world, as if the only thing on his mind was enjoying the agreeable weather. Inside, Daniel Pleasant, the occupant, was having his elevensies on a lazy Monday morning. The sound of the mail hitting the floor alerted him to its arrival through the slot in the main entrance of the foyer. He turned his attention back to his tea as if to say, Nothing comes between my tea and I. After a moment and the last sip of his Darjeeling, Daniel made his way to the front door to collect his mail. As he reached down, he noticed the stark white blank envelope which was easy considering it contrasted against everything else it was bundled with. Daniel picked up the envelope first and looked it over before gathering up the rest of the post. He gave a slight half-smile. He took it all onto his desk, set the pile down, then reached for the small dark glasses case. Removing the cipher glasses from their case, he put them on and picked up the blank envelope, which now, through his glasses, clearly read, Daniel Pleasant, Agent Number 48, Eyes Only. 131 Plevna Crescent. Ah, yes, finally an assignment, Daniel thought as he allowed his smile to grow a little larger. Turning over the envelope, he ran his eyes over the director's ornate stamped seal on the flap that was now visible. It read, From the Ministry. Daniel quickly slid open the envelope with his letter opener, which was within arm's length. Excited by the prospect of being whisked away again to the far reaches of the world for more adventure and to serve the ministry, he was quick to discard the envelope and start absorbing the details on the letter that read,
3: Daniel Pleasant, I trust this letter finds you well. I do realize that it has been some time since I have contacted you, but as you know, since your last assignment in hogan the situation there has been tense. Things have settled down a bit and all is well. Might I add a... Well done to you. I know the Mongols are not easy to deal with at times. However, this is not the reason I am contacting you today by post. The ministry again has need of you and your skill set. The ministry has been conducting an audit of its archives. I am afraid they are falling in poor repair as of late due to not having a proper archivist. During said audit, it was found that a few items could not be accounted for. After an investigation, it was deemed that these items were stolen and not merely misplaced or misfiled. The items I am referring to are specifically two power cells rumored to be from the lost city of Atlantis and a small telescope that once belonged to Galileo. We are not certain as to the necessity of stealing the telescope for anything more than crowing rights. However, the two power cells are more dangerous." Again, we are not certain as to what use they might be intended, but our best minds tell us that the electrical output from the power cells are very high, and they could be very dangerous in the wrong hands. We fear that they may be used to create a bomb or some such weapon. What we do know is that the cells were separated and shipped out of London individually, approximately two weeks ago. The one unit we were able to track for a time was transported to Charleston in America upon an airship. We believe that this was done to get into the country undetected. Your assignment is to travel to Charleston, South Carolina and track down the two power cells by any means necessary and return them to the archives. I have arranged passage for you with the pseudonym of Archibald Wallace. Your airship will be leaving on Tuesday the 8th promptly at 11 o'clock, from Paddington Airfield. Additionally, I have cleared your work with Osum. I know how you enjoy working with others. However, this is not negotiable, since you are an operative in America. An Osum agent will make contact you once you have landed. The Director. Note. Discard this letter upon
2: reading this line. Immediately after doing so, Daniel knew exactly what that meant. The bottom edge of the letter had started to singe, then ignite into a small flame he quickly dropped the letter into a metal rubbish bin beside his desk and let it burn. Obviously, it was time to pack. Part 2 Into the Fire Travel across the pond was made much easier since the invention of the Zeppelin. Hundreds of passengers made the voyage each year. As with all those trips, this one had about 30 aboard, but Daniel had singled only one out. This particular passenger seemed nervous and overly mindful of those around him. Most passengers took this time to relax as there was not much more to do than wait for the long duration of the trip. After 11 days, the Zeppelin neared America, and with that, Charleston. As the airship grew closer to Charleston Airfield, Daniel noticed that the man was growing more nervous, almost like he was about to jump out of a window and make a run for it to avoid customs. Daniel didn't know anything about this man, nor if he was involved at all with the case at hand, although some instinct told him they should stick close to him as they exited to at least get a name. Daniel was a tracker, and he knew when to follow a hunch when he had one. As the ship descended, the sound of the grounds crew calling out to each other could be heard throughout the cabin as they attempted to capture the guide ropes and direct the large zeppelin to a safe landing. Daniel took this opportunity to move closer to the nervous man and stir up some small talk. Daniel nudged his fellow passenger's shoulder and commented, Say, it's good to be back in America, eh? The man recoiled a bit as he gave Daniel a nervous look. Yes, I I suppose so. Pardon my manners. Archibald Wallace, Daniel said as he forcefully shoved his open right hand in for a shake. Uh, uh, Clive, uh, Dr. Clive Oster, he said as he took Daniel's hand and gave it a somewhat limp shake. Daniel also made note that the man had a slight German accent. Doctor, nice. What are you here for? Business, pleasure, or both? Just as Daniel got the words out of his mouth, the steward announced loudly, Welcome to America! Departure! Dr. Clive Oster stood, gave a quick touch of his hat with his hand, and excused himself. Good to meet you, Mr. Wallace. Have a good day. Then he promptly turned and darted for the exit with another man following him closely. Daniel noticed a napkin left on the table with Randall Pinky written on it, along with the doctor's rather odd pocket watch. Daniel, with a swipe of his hand across the table, grabbed both items and dashed for the exit and rather rudely tried to weave between other passengers that were also disembarking. Once out of the airship and standing on the gangway at the top of the stairs, Daniel could see almost all the other passengers greeting family or friends down below. Intently surveying the people, Daniel spotted Dr. Oster and his companion walking towards another gent. Eager to get a closer look at who they were, Daniel started quickly down the stairs in an effort to catch up. As he reached the bottom, a man snapped to attention. He definitely recognized Daniel and looked eager to shake his hand. Daniel caught his words. Daniel Pleasant, I am! But he hurried by, ignoring the man's extended hand. After a few more steps, he stopped abruptly as the gents and the doctor pulled away in a steam-powered vehicle. He noted that the machine resembled a La Mansella. Not too many of those around, I'm sure, he thought. Turning his attention to the items in his hand, he felt a tap on his left shoulder. He turned his head to see the man that had been at the end of the stairs was now standing there with his hand, still extended. Daniel Pleasant? I'm Elijah Paxton of the OSM. I don't know what kind of manners they teach you at home, but where I come from, if someone offers their hand... I beg your pardon. Good to meet you, Paxton, Daniel said, turning around to face Elijah properly. He took the man's hand and, while shaking it, surveyed Elijah from head to toe. Short, stacked top hat, blond hair, red waistcoat, a belt with lots of small odd compartments, but no gun. This chap must be a clankerton. Yes, a man of the sciences, Daniel mused to himself. I have some information that I don't think you've been privy to since you were traveling. There is a warehouse down in the industrial district where today we believe these guys are going to try and set up a sale of your missing artifact, Elijah said, getting straight to the point. How did you come across this information? As nice of a day as it is out here, we can't stand around and talk. I have an agent staked out and watching the warehouse. But there is no time to waste. We need to move. My vehicle is over here, Elijah said, motioning with his hand to his double-tank steam car that stood waiting by the footpath. We can safely talk on the way. Elijah got in the driver's side while Daniel made do with the passenger seat. The American agent pushed the ignition button, which started the gas fire under the double flash boilers. He adjusted several small levers, released the brake, then engaged the drive chain, which allowed the car to start moving forward. "'Where are you from?' Daniel inquired, liking to know a little of the agent he was dealing with. "'I'm actually from Edisto Island, which is just south of here. Why?' "'Elijah replied with a curious glance. "'No particular reason. "'It's just that I study dialects. "'I am curious, however, as to why you're not carrying a weapon. "'Is that OSM policy?' Daniel said with a chuckle. "'No,' Elijah muttered. "'It's by choice, and I don't care to talk about it.' "'All right, message received, loud and clear. "'I'll go no further,' Daniel said, stopping the inquiry right there. "'I assume you have been briefed as to why I am here and my mission?' What information have you got? A trusted informant told one of our agents that something big had been shipped here, Elijah replied, shooting him a concerned look. He said someone had contacted him to see if he could arrange a sale. When our informant asked what merchandise it was they wanted to offload, they wouldn't give him any details except for it was electrical in nature and very powerful. Elijah's hands tightened on the wheel. That sale is supposed to happen today. Did he give you any names? Our informant is a well-known fence, but he says that this is someone he hasn't met before. We're here, Elijah said as he stopped the vehicle. The warehouse we are keeping an eye on is right over there. The OSM agent pointed up the street from where they were. We have Agent Locke on the roof of the building directly across the street, watching the building closely. Daniel noticed the warehouse in question and noticed the La Mansella steamer parked out in front. The doctor does have something to do with this. Just then, a mobile telegraph mounted on the dash started clicking and whirring away. Elijah was listening intently on the length and timing of the dots and dashes. Elijah looked up at Daniel. It's Locke," He says, three men have entered through the back of the building. Elijah translated the second message. Lock. Hold. Daniel and Elijah stared at one another, then at the mobile telegraph impatiently, willing it to start messaging again after a long and drawn out moment the clicking and whirring began again elijah tilted his head listening lock two vehicles and four more men enter the warehouse he turned to daniel this sounds more like a party than a deal happening daniel looked at elijah and pressed his lips together i do not believe this is a sale this is a handoff He stepped down out of the vehicle. We need to move. Now. Before finding out if the American agent was going to obey, Daniel removed his weapon from his holster and started running toward the far alley beside the warehouse. What makes you think that? Elijah yelled as he was visibly disturbed by his partner deciding to move without him, quickly grabbed an oral enhancer from behind the seat and followed, but headed toward the closer alley opposite Daniel. As Daniel entered the far alleyway with his weapon drawn and his back against the building, he stood to slowly sidestep his way towards the window so he could get a peek at who or what was inside. Carefully, he approached the glass and was able to get a glimpse of the men inside. His training kicked in. He quickly did a headcount of the number of men inside. Eight. Four near the large cargo doors and vehicles, one near the center of the room with a crate, and three men on the far side. Then he stopped short as he recognized one of the faces it was the nervous doctor he stumbled upon on the airship elijah on the other side of the building had already made his way to a window crouching just below it he took his oral enhancer pulled it to extend the listening cone and powered on the device holding it in one hand with the listening piece to his ear he could clearly hear the men speaking inside he had difficulty differentiating between who was who since several men were speaking at the same time. Is this the package we're expecting? It is? In one piece? Of course. I think we deserve more for delivering the good doctor. Oh, are we renegotiating? Mr. Pinky does not renegotiate, nor do I. Help me load the crate onto the truck. We need to get moving. It's a long trip back to Nars. I just believe our compensation isn't what it should be. How about I pay you in lead? What's lead worth to you these days? At that Elijah's eyes widened, realizing what was about to happen. Daniel could see one of the men raising his weapon, threatening either the doctor or the man just beside him. It was hard to tell from his angle. Daniel, standing steady and continuing to gaze inside, moved his thumb to cock the hammer of his own weapon. Then he saw two of the men lifting the crate onto the trucks while the man with the gun became even more agitated. Then, suddenly, the gunman fired off a round, missing the gentleman and the doctor. However, it struck the barrel canister behind him, which exploded. Daniel recoiled as a piece of shrapnel blew through the wall of the warehouse just about where his head was, and additionally giving Elijah a serious ringing in his left ear. Daniel, shaking off the blast, looked back through the window. He saw all the men now down on the ground, but the four agents closest to the cargo door started to stir and stand. The gunman got up with his cohort, grabbed the doctor, and raised him to his feet. Daniel broke a window and with a steady hand shot and hit the gun that the gunman was holding, knocking it away. The now startled men quickly made their way to the trucks. Elijah realized it was his turn to make a move. He dropped his oral enhancer and ran to make it to the doors before the men were able to leave with the cargo and the doctor. Daniel did the same. As they both rounded their respectful corners at the back of the warehouse, Daniel and Elijah saw each other as they stood in front of the cargo doors. The large cargo doors of the warehouse crashed open as the trucks both roared past them simultaneously. Elijah jumped aside to let the one threatening him pass. As it rode by, Elijah pointed his arm at the back of the truck, bending his hand back to expose a wrist. A projectile shot out of his coat sleeve with a thin rope trailing behind it. It struck the rear of the truck, attaching itself, and yanked Elijah down to the ground, dragging him along. Daniel was standing in the direct path of the second vehicle which hit him, knocking his gun out of his one hand. He managed to grab a hold of the front bumper with his other. But now, he was being dragged by the vehicle. Elijah managed to pull himself closer on the rope to the truck as it was in motion. As he was pulling himself up, he could see the crates sitting on the bed of the truck. He quickly observed three options that would allow him to stop this truck. One, the braking system on this vehicle used cable and spring drums. Two, there is a linchpin towards the front between the boiler and the flatbed, where it separate the bed from the truck. Three, this truck ran on a flash boiler. Flash boilers were prone to overheat and caused the system of coils to fail and burn out. That's what he'd do to stop this vehicle. Elijah, now holding onto the truck and with a steady place for his feet, decided that he would climb under the truck while moving, remove a piece of the steel cable used for the brakes, and loop it and use it to catch the throttle, then pull it to cause it to burn hotter. Daniel started to climb up the front grill of the car and looked eye to eye with the driver over the hood, as well as a second unnamed man. Behind them both, he could see Dr. Oster sitting, facing away from him, on the flatbed of the truck. He knew his objective. He would have to take these two out to stop the truck and get Dr. Oster. Raising himself up onto the hood, Daniel took a stance to get his best footing he could. The man in the passenger seat stood in the truck and pointed a gun straight at him. While the driver tried to swerve and knock their unwanted passenger off his balance, With that motion, Daniel used his momentum to jump forward and engage the gunman, causing him to misfire into the air. Dr. Oster turned and turned white with shock as he witnessed Daniel wrestling the gunman for control of the weapon. Back and forth they swung. The agent had the gunman's left hand with the weapon in a tight grip. Then, leaning back, Daniel unleashed his left fist square on the gunman's face. The last punch loosened the man's stability. As they continued to wrestle, they both swung towards the driver and hit him directly on the top of the head with the gun. The unconscious driver slumped over and then rolled out of the truck onto the ground speeding by below. Daniel and the gunman looked over at the now empty driver's seat and then back to each other in surprise. The agent took the opportunity to punch the man one more time for luck. His assailant lost his footing, stepped backward, and bounced off the bonnet of the truck. Daniel immediately jumped into the driver's seat and took control. Hang on, mate, we're not out of the forest yet, Daniel said as he turned the truck to the left in search of Elijah. Elijah, still holding himself steady with one hand on the bed of the truck, bent down to look under the truck and decided the best way to get to the boiler and pull the release valve, vacating the water tank. The man in the passenger's seat heard the faint noise of something flapping in the wind. He turned to see Elijah's coat waving in the wake of the truck. He drew his gun and fired a shot, missing his target. Aiming again, the truck hit a bump, causing the man to fire again wildly into the air above. The jostling of the truck also shook Elijah's grip and sent him plummeting to the ground. Elijah looked up after he rolled to a stop to see the truck with the crate ride off. Just then, Daniel pulled up in his commandeered truck with Dr. Oster in tow and skidded to a stop. Elijah punched the ground and spat out, I lost the truck! I figured as much, Daniel said with a tight smile. So what are you laying around for? Get in! We need to talk. Part 3 Elijah's Office With the doctor sitting at a conference table in the center of the room, Elijah made a motion to Daniel to follow him for a moment. What was that back there? Elijah said to Daniel as they stepped into the adjoining room. I would have explained if there was time. While I was on the airship, I couldn't help but notice Dr. Oster was very nervous almost the entire flight. I also observed that there was a man keeping a very close eye on him, Daniel said under his breath. I tried to engage him in some banter as if I were a nosy tourist, but I didn't get much out of him. When the ship had landed and we were able to depart, he made a quick and nervous exit, but left those two items behind. Daniel showed Elijah the napkin and the odd pocket watch. That's the strangest timepiece I've ever seen, but it isn't the first time I've seen it, Elijah commented. Do tell, Daniel said, feeling his curiosity rise. It's a differential motion watch, Elijah explained. I haven't seen a working one, but I have seen a design that da Vinci drew in his notes. It tells the time backwards. More specifically, it tells the time opposite and relative to the current time. It's not much use unless you need to keep track of what time it was, in a sense. Daniel stared at Elijah for a moment and then turned and walked back into the room where the prisoner was sitting. All right, doctor, what or who actually brought you to America? Daniel asked sharply. He looked down at the table, then up at Elijah and Daniel before speaking. I... I come to America to help a friend with a project. Daniel grinned bleakly. Would that friend be Randall Pinky? He pulled out the napkin with the man's name on it and laid it on the table. When Dr. Oster looked at the napkin, he shifted nervously and fidgeted like he had before on the airship. Elijah leaned over the table. Look, if you're stray with us, we can work with you. If you're not... Daniel interjected before he could lay out the consequences. I also found this on the airship when you left so quickly. Again, he held out the rather odd pocket watch and letting it hang from his hand as if on display. I know you're a scientist, so why are you here? Please don't hurt my family, Dr. Oster blurted out. Daniel and Elijah shared a confused look. Elijah cocked his head. We don't want to hurt anyone, your family included. So whatever do you mean, Daniel asked. Visibly distraught, Dr. Oster shifted in his chair, his voice rising higher. I informed Mr. Pinky that it would never work. He would need more power than can currently be generated, but I fear for my life and for that of my family. Elijah tried to reassure him. Doctor, calm down. I think we can agree that we are on the same side here. We can help get your family back, Daniel offered. The doctor took a moment to compose himself before going on. You are correct that I am a scientist. Perhaps you already know, but that is a differential watch. It counts time backward in relation to your own time. I built it. He took a long, shuddering breath. You see, I study space-time. I have developed a theory that, if properly applied, will allow anyone to open a portal into the time itself, past or future. Shortly after my paper was published, I received a telegram. It said that my presence was required in America to develop my theory into a working application. At first, I refused. He paused and wiped a thin bead of sweat from his forehead. Shortly after, men came to my home, took my family, and told me that I was to travel to Nars. I would work for Mr. Pinky, or I would not see my family again. Well, that explains a great deal, but I have no idea who Nars is, Daniel said, turning to Elijah. His colleague nodded. NARS is the nautical and aerospace research station located just north of Charleston on the coast. It's where they research new sea and air technologies, though I'm not sure how that piece would figure into this, Elijah mused. I believe I may know, Dr. Oster offered. Part of my theory would involve a large body of water as a grounding agent, and the ocean would work. When the power is discharged, the large saltwater base would help disperse the charge into an even area. I understand about the large amount of energy and the dispersal that is needed for all this to work, but how does that open a portal, Elijah asked. You also need a light source as a catalyst, the doctor seemed to be warming to the subject. The light beam is projected down into a collector that is submerged underwater. The collector does all the work using the energy from the surrounding water. The light source... "'Has to be generated from a special crystal type for all this to work,' Dr. Oster explained. "'Daniel began to feel they were getting somewhere. "'I am investigating a theft of two high-energy power cells, "'one of which was on the other truck you saw earlier. "'The other is already here in Charleston, possibly at NARS.' "'Daniel rubbed his chin with one hand as he started to contemplate a plan. "'That means he may already have everything in place.' Dr. Oster interjected with some vigor. What might he do with this portal if he creates it? Elijah said, his low voice and dire. They all knew it would be nothing good. Daniel shook off the possibilities and laid out his plan. All right, gentlemen, here's what we will do. And time is of the essence. Randall Pinky is expecting you now, Doctor, assuming that his thugs from earlier haven't reported in. The two gents driving the truck with the power cell don't know that we have Dr. Oster either. So, Elijah, we will deliver him as planned. Once he is in and learns the use and possible location of the power cells, he can inform us and we will go in and get or disable them, Daniel said looking directly at the doctor. The man blinked and looked none too pleased with that. Part 4. NARS About two hours later, Daniel and Elijah arrived at the NARS research facility and pulled up to the security gate. Names, please, the guard said, looking directly at Daniel. Archibald Wallace, we are bringing Dr. Osen to see Randall Pinky, Daniel replied, staring at the guard right in the eye. At Randall Pinky's name, the man visibly straightened. Just a moment." The guard signaled the colleague on the roof diagonally from where they currently were, and when he returned the signal, their guard turned to point out another building ahead. All clear. You're to proceed to building number three. Thank you, Daniel offered as the gate opened. He released the brake on the steam vehicle, and the three of them rode through. As they pulled up to building number three and stopped the car, they noticed four more guards walking up to the vehicle. So it was, two in front and two behind, as well as the pair at the door watching the entrance. They all raised their weapons as two more stepped up to the driver's side. ''Hands up and step out of the vehicle!'' one of the guards commanded. Everyone raised their hands and carefully stepped out. One of the guards closest to the front door spoke. ''Dr. Osten, come with me!'' He motioned towards the entrance to the building. The doctor went meekly, while Elijah and Daniel allowed them to bind their hands. Move, another guard motioned with his weapon for them to follow the doctor. Once at the top, they were led to a set of very ornate double doors. One of the guards reached down and turned both handles on both doors and pushed them open. Standing in the middle of the room was a rather tall, thin man dressed all in black, with the lone exception of a red sash worn under his overcoat. Daniel knew the several medals on the sash indicated he had fought in a war, along with several medal impressions of a family crest. The man raised his hand in kindly gesture. Doctor, welcome. I see that your trip was not without complications. My apologies, but it seems that you are a very popular man. Yes, so it seems, Dr. Oson said, looking back over his shoulder at Daniel and Elijah. The men seemed not to notice. Everything is in place to your specifications, and the portal generator is operational. Then things took an odd turn. When the doctor turned and spoke to the guards, Leave us. I wish not to be disturbed. To the surprise of Daniel and Elijah, both guards gave a, Yes, Yes, sir, sir, then backed out, closing the doors behind them. (music) Daniel was at a loss. You just, I say, what's going on here? Where shall I begin? The doctor smiled. For starters, you may stop referring to me as Austin. He is no more. I am Randall Pinky. So shall I get to the crux of the matter? Yes, I am in possession of the power cells you seek. Yes, I am the man you seek, the doctor said, tucking his hands behind his back. Elijah, his voice remarkably steady. So, you stage the kidnapping and swap at the warehouse to cover up the whole operation. Pinky let out a short laugh. Close. I figure you are a little more clever than that. The whole shenanigans were to fake my death and confuse the trail. However, I did not foresee you two intervening. I was a professor, tired of others making a fortune off my ideas. So I decided to take matters into my own hands. I am using my invention to benefit me for once. Pinky could not stop from grinning, it seemed. You see, Elijah, to answer your question from earlier, I want to use this portal that I create to control the shipping lanes between Europe and the U.S., Any ship that is not approved or properly tariffed by me will, for lack of a better word, disappear. He directed their attention to a map on a pinned wall. Arriving in the channel right about now is a freighter from France. In a moment, it will be no more. He addressed the silent man in the sash. Franklin, meet me in the control room and ready the photon emitter. Guards! Two stocky men answered his call. See to it that these two men are put aboard the runner-boat, he snapped to them, and set it for auto-captain on a course for the center of the inlet. Yes, sir, one of them replied. Both of them grabbed Daniel and Elijah. They were forced, struggling out the door. They just needed a little time. As they were being dragged down the stairs, Elijah was able to finish picking his binders with the tool from his belt. He motioned to Daniel that he was free and tried to pass the pick to his colleague, but he dropped it in the scuffle. Moments later, escorted by the guards and being led to a small pier, Elijah noticed a rather large cable emerging from the water partially covered by the sand, leading to a small building further up the beach. He and Daniel, who was still bound, were pushed towards a small boat that was docked at the jetty. Taking his chance, Elijah turned and landed a punch directly on the jaw of the first guard, which put him out cold. As the second guard started to raise his weapon, Elijah grabbed the top of the barrel and wrenched it back and forth. In the melee, he smacked the side of the rifle in just the right spot, just two centimeters below the hammer. A pin popped out and flew away as the rest of the gun collapsed in the guard's hands. The guard's look was priceless, as Elijah, with both hands, pushed the guard in the chest. He staggered back, which gave the agent enough room to deliver a roundhouse kick to his head. As Elijah freed Daniel, he said, I see just below us is a large cable coming out of the water. I think that it could be the control cable that will initiate the power cells. The two agents quickly dumped the guards into the boat and shoved it on its way to the middle of the inlet. Daniel whispered to Elijah, All right, what do you suggest we do with this cable? Sever it? Wait, no. I believe that this cable leads to the small building right there on top of that ridge, Elijah said, realizing this could create an opportunity. I think we should get there and reverse the polarity on the power. Instead of enabling the power cells, it should overload his control panel in his tower. Sounds good. You head there, and I'll get to the control tower. When I hear the panel overload, I'll make my move inside and get pinky." As Elijah turned to head to the shack, Daniel said, "'Oh, and one more thing. This whole situation with the guard, I had it all under control, just so you know.'" Elijah looked back to smirk slightly and began to run following the cable toward the building. Finding the entrance, Elijah tried to open the door only to discover it was locked. Reaching into a small pocket on his belt, He retrieved a small resonant frequency generator to destroy the lock. Elijah's resonant frequency generator frantically started searching for the right resonant frequency of the metal that composed the lock. As it locked onto a frequency, the steady hum started and the countdown timer started. Five, four, three, two, snap. Elijah dropped the generator to the ground and turned the handle. Daniel now reached the base of the control tower and peered out over the gleaming inlet. The freighter loomed much closer now. Putting it out of his mind for the moment, he turned his attention to the ladder alongside the tower and started to make his ascent. Daniel made it to the top of the tower and pulled himself up on the gallery deck. Observing the lens and lantern area, he noticed a strange device mounted in the front of the lens pointing straight at the inlet. Directly on top of the device, he noticed what looked like a Galileo telescope. On the opposite side of the lens and lantern assembly was Pinky and his cohort Franklin in front of the control panel for the deadly portal generator. Daniel knew he needed to buy just a little time to give Elijah the chance to disable the power cells, as well as allow the freighter to move out of harm's way. These oil-based lighthouses have vents to direct wind into the lens chamber to air out the fumes from the oil. If I can close them from the outside, I can smoke them out. Looking at the wall of the lighthouse under the gallery deck he saw a series of small circular brass vents that were mounted along the perimeter of the tower. Just what he was looking for. Elijah made his way into the building and studied the panel mounted on the wall where the cable ends. There were two throw switches. He found a metal crowbar on the floor and jammed it across the two connectors that would short a safety circuit that keeps power from backing up to the control panel. Then he took one of the throw switches and slammed it into its opposite position so that the polarity was reversed. Elijah said to himself, there's no way that contraption is going to work now, Daniel, climbing and hanging by his knees under the gallery deck, had closed most of the ventilation vents. Making his way back to the safety of the upper side of the gallery deck, he could already hear the two starting to cough inside the lens chamber. As Daniel was pulling himself up, he could hear the coughing continue to worsen. Franklin was seen frantically trying to open a metal ball vent at the top of the cupola that provides ventilation and allow the heat and fumes to escape. Deciding it would be quicker to open the door to the gallery deck, Franklin unlocked it and opened it, gasping for air. Daniel knew that this was his move. Daniel jumped to his feet and struck Franklin with a strong right hook, knocking him back into the lens chamber landing against the lens itself. Daniel, not letting up, charged toward him and struck him again, this time with his left hand. Randall yelled, Enough! It is over! And I have won! Randall raised his hand to push the large red button on the control panel. Daniel took two steps back and started to turn. As Randall engaged the button, the panel sparked and caused the entire lens chamber to ignite into a ball of flame an explosion that could be heard across Charleston proper, lighting up the beach for a brief moment as if it were daylight. Suddenly, all was quiet with the exception of the fire at the top of the lighthouse burning like a large signal torch and the sound of glass and debris finding its way to the ground below. A moment later, Elijah arrived with the military police that were stationed at NARS. As they all started to survey the destruction, Elijah was beginning to believe that his partner Daniel was killed in the explosion. Just then, from above, Elijah heard Daniel say, ''Hey, can someone help me down?'' as he hung under the gallery deck. Epilogue Elijah entered the hospital room where Daniel was resting. Elijah said, "'Daniel, good morning. Good to see you're on the mend.' Daniel looked at Elijah. "'Yes, I am. I actually head back to London tomorrow.' "'Yes, so I've heard,' Elijah continued. "'I just wanted to let you know that the two power cells have been retrieved from the ocean floor and are being shipped back under OSM supervision.' "'Answer me one thing. What was the use of the telescope?' Daniel asked, "You didn't specifically say that it was Galileo's telescope. When Galileo created it, he used a particular type of rare crystal for the lens. That crystal is what Randall needed to excite the light photons in the matter that when the light was focused through it, it would activate the portal," Elijah explained. Daniel said, "I'm sorry I asked." Elijah glanced at the floor and then back up to Daniel before saying, Just to let you know, the OSM officials did a thorough job of investigating the explosion site, and they only found one body. It was Franklin. One? I don't see how that's possible, Daniel said trailing off as a nurse walked into the room. Mr. Pleasant, are you doing all right? The nurse asked, her voice soft. Yes, I'm quite comfortable, thank you, Daniel replied with a smile. Good, the nurse said, turning to leave, but then paused. Oh, A gentleman dropped off a letter for you, sir. She handed the envelope to Daniel and then bustled off. Daniel sat up in the bed a little, shooting Elijah a concerned glance. With a racing heart, he opened the envelope and removed the letter. Studying the letter with a confused look, he stopped and handed the letter to Elijah as it read, I've decided to take my work back underground, to stop it falling into the wrong hands.
1: As is a husband and father of one. He works as a web developer with interests in photography, art, and writing. Also a longtime podcaster with his friend Chuck Tomasi, together they curate the museum of tech geekery they call the Technorama Podcast, and they also work together on the book Teach Yourself WordPress in 10 Minutes.
0: He would also like to thank Chuck for the narration of this story. Chuck Tomasi, before working on Teach Yourself WordPress in 10 Minutes, was also one of the co-authors for the second edition of Podcasting for Dummies, alongside Evo Terra and T. Morris. To find out more about Craig, visit spindle.com. That's S-P-Y-N-D-L-E dot com. And for the Technorama podcast, visit chuckchat.com forward slash technorama. To find out more about Chuck, visit chucktomasi.com. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar
1: Occurrences, order your copy of The Janus Affair, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, from your favorite bookstore, or online from amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com, the iBookstore, or the Science Fiction Book Club.
0: This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, sharealike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru
1: Studios, Harper Voyager Production.
0: I'm T. Morris.
1: And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank,
0: Thank you, you for listening. listening.